That was for all the times he made fun of my Prius. And I'm glad to see how his confidence in my Prius to think that a little tiny battery would run it like that. It, it does have power. Yes. Um, praise the Lord. You know, it's, it feels good at times when you, when you have a problem and then the problem is solved with a solution that uh, gives you the pleasure that was, the pleasure exceeds the trouble of the problem. This young fella had a problem, but he came up with a perfect solution. Listen to this. He said, when I was younger, uh, I was single, and about 25 years old, uh, still single, I got to the place where I almost hated going to weddings. It seemed that all my aunts and other grandmotherly types used to come up to me, poking me in the ribs and cackling, telling me, okay, now it's about your turn. You're already past the age, you know. Don't you think you are next in line? But they suddenly stopped doing that. After I started saying those very same lines to them at family funerals. <laughs> that was tremendous preaching this morning. I wanted to, I, I, I feel like just saying what the congressman said on the Congress floor the other day. I, they have their little spiel they give. And then they said, and I yield my time. I'd just like to yield my time, brother, and hear some more preaching. But I'm glad that there'll be some more preaching coming from you today. So praise God for that. We're going to open our Bibles this morning to Psalms chapter 66. I want to open this message with, with Psalm 66. But I'm thinking of Isaiah 61, 1, and I wish every preacher could say this. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings to the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prisons to them that are bound. That's the purpose of preaching, don't you think? When Jesus spoke or witnessed to, of the things of God, he often did so to the audience of one. When God determined to deliver his people from the oppressors, from the enemy, he zeroed in often on just one person. So may I preach a while on the power of one or the impact of one person. Ezekiel 22, the whole nation was in a big, bad mess. Her priests and prophets, that's talking about the preachers, uh, says they have profaned my holy things. And we see that happening among society and sometimes among church people, but it's a pretty sad thing for preachers are doing that. And then it says her princesses, that's the politicians, are like ravening wolves and the people of the land are robbers and oppressors. The, the politicians, raving wolves, reminds me of what's going on today. And the people of the land, robbers and oppressors. But would you like to know the next verse? 
the very next verse, God says, And I sought for a man among them to make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land that I might not destroy it. But I found none. Sadly, he found none. But I'm saying God is looking for people right among that. Not from far away, but from among us to make a difference. And so that's God's idea of the power of one. The power, the impact that one person can make. He's not looking for a coalition there. He's not looking for a battalion. He's not looking for a troop or a confederacy. And he certainly wasn't looking for a ministerial alliance either. Rather, God is looking for a man. Yes, one man with a heart for God that would be willing to be used to make a difference in a bad, bad situation. Oh, the marvel of the power of one. The impact that one person can make. Now, through the word of God, by way of the grace of God, I want to show you the importance, the necessity, the value, the power, and yes, the usability of one person's salvation testimony. The ripple effect, like throwing a rock out into the water, the ripples go out, the circles go on and on, ever wider and wider, and only God knows how far it'll go. Don't ever, don't ever doubt the ability of one person to make a difference so much so that it has a domino effect on many, many others being impacted for life. Yes, even for eternity. So I'm going to read a portion of scripture here in Psalms chapter 66. And we'll start in verse 16. He says, Come and hear, all ye that fear, the, fear God, and I will declare what he had done for my soul. I cried unto him with my mouth, and he was extolled with my tongue. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. But verily, God has, hath heard me. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God, which hath not turned away my prayer, nor his mercy from me. Indeed, David had a lot to declare here. He had a lot to talk about. And I think of, uh, in, in Psalms 143, he says, I remember the days of old. I meditate upon all thy works. I muse upon the work of thy hands. What do you think David was talking, thinking about there? I could imagine him. He might have been sitting on a wheelchair when he said that. He would have had wooden wheels without rubber. And, uh, and people were passing by. and he, It's just an old man and nothing to do. You know, he's no good to nothing, to nobody, is he? And there David with a smile on his face was thinking about when God, through his boyhood strength, killed the lion and the bear. Maybe he's thinking about Goliath. Maybe he's thinking about many of his victories in, in battle. But he, he said, I, I declare, look at the verse again. The verse says, come in here, all ye that fear of God, and I will declare what he had done for my soul. And he wasn't saying what I've done for God, but what God has done for me. That's the gospel. 
But listen, folks, we've got a lot to declare, too. We've got a lot to talk about. That's why the Bible says, let the, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Now, I don't know your salvation story, but I'm persuaded of this to be an absolute fact that somewhere, we don't know how far back, but somewhere in your lineage, someone's life and testimony made an impact that led you to respond to the Holy Spirit and to get saved. Hallelujah. We might not even know who that person was, but how about today bowing the knee at the altar and perfectly thanking God for that person? It might have been somebody just praying for the descendants. We don't know how far back. But even now, would you pause for a minute and just think of a person by name who had a powerful impact in your life. We can all think of people like that. Maybe it was a teacher, maybe a preacher, or a relative, or a co-worker that had, I got impressed, I get impressed, we have a minister to the nursing home, and we visit people there, and sometimes I, I see uh, just glowing people in there. They're, they're, not, they're not at home, they want to be there, but there they are, but they're making the best of it where they are, uh, just making a difference. And you know what? Those people can be praying for somebody yet and still make a difference in the kingdom of God. But uh, uh, that somebody who had a tremendous influence upon you that pointed you to the choice that you made that directed and chartered or rechartered your life. Yes. Ultimately, a decision that brought you here today. Because here today, you are at the right place, at the right time, with the right people, doing the right people, uh, doing the right things. Oh, that man would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. The year was 1979. The name of the man was Carl Hasty. He retired in his early 70s. And he uh, took up driving for the Amish. He witnessed to a young Amish boy, his name was Irvin, who in turn w told to me about it. He drove uh, his buggy five miles down the road to tell me that he's, there's going to be a man coming out and talking to, his, to, to me tonight about the Lord. And I really want you to come and listen to him. And I said, I'll be there. And, but this resulted in changing my life forever. It changed the life of my wife. It changed the life of my children, or had an impact upon them. And now uh, it is impacting my 30 grandchildren. And I was going to say my seven grand, great-grandchildren, but my wife reminded me this morning it's eight. That could change any time real soon. <laughs> but it was, uh, so my wife, Ida, and I, with our four children. We had four children at that time. Ivan would have been five years old at that time. By the way, will you allow me to divert a little bit and talk a little bit about Ivan, maybe share you some history that you otherwise wouldn't know. He was our firstborn. Actually, he necessitated a lot of firsts in our life. Because of him, 
we had our first hospital experience in the maternity ward. And so, because he insisted getting born backwards, <laughs> the doctors had to perform emergency surgery. And that was a first for us. We were at the hospital. We didn't have phones. Our parents were far away. We could not contact and call them. Is this okay? Do we do this? Do we allow the doctors to cut? Well, the doctors told us, you don't have a choice. And so we went ahead and did that surgery. Uh, one could say that <laughs> Ivan started off on the wrong foot, couldn't he? <laughs> now, persistingly, he wanted to sleep between us in our bed and eat several times during the night. So we bought our a beautiful baby bed, our first baby bed, but he hated it. And since he demanded to join us every meal, disrupting our meals at the table, we bought our first high chair, to which we added ropes and straps and belts <laughs> for restraining and mechanism. Very soon we found out we needed something else. We got our first paddle. <laughs> Now, as you might expect, we used that baby bed and the high chair for all of our five children. But the paddle was done wore out before we got to the second child. So, yes, it was Ivan who gave us our first gray hair. Both his mother and I do take measured satisfaction and perhaps a bit too much pleasure in seeing Providence has bringing this gray hair matter to a full circle. <laughs> need, need I say any more? Let the evidence speak for itself. Now, of course, I could show you via, through photos, many photos that would really amuse you. But as I see it, events like this are not the time for or a place to display pictures such as the misfortune of a Prius heavily damaged by a fast-running wildcat. Can you imagine hitting a wildcat with a Prius? House cat. <laughs> I'm behind the pulpit. I'm telling the story. <laughs> Do not doubt me. By the running speed of that cat, I know it was wild. By the way, only those who were here last year would know what this is all about. But thank you for your enthusiasm in getting this information. I give you permission to post it on Facebook, on, on text message, on TikTok, on Twitter, and Instagram, and email, or snail mail. But do not put it on CNN because people would think it's fake news. But let's, shall we get back to preaching? We were a typical Amish family. Our parents, our four parents, four between, the, between us, all born Amish, raised Amish. Our eight grandparents, all born Amish, raised Amish, died Amish, buried in an Amish graveyard. They don't bury their people in, the, in the, just the regular graveyards. They don't want them to be contaminated. And so our roots were reached very deep and far back into our ancestral religion, shall we say. Through, though the Amish religion stands 
out sharply because of their dress and their lifestyle. It has much in common and ever so many with ever so many other religions who believe the way to heaven is to please God with their particular brand of religion and good works as specified by their religion. Now, Mr. Hasty was different than many other drivers that we had. You see, the Amish don't allow their people to drive a car. If you drive a car, you're on your way to hell. But they sure love to ride in cars. <laughs> and so the solution is hire somebody who's going to hell anyhow. These people really are good, preacher, because they can finish your sentence for you because they know what's coming. Mr. Hasty was different than many, the other drivers in that he always had a Bible on his dashboard. We'd be going only a few miles down the road and he'd say something like this, Hallelujah, praise God, I know I'm going to heaven when I die. Glory. And so I said, but nobody can know that for sure. We can't know that for sure. And Mr. Hastie would say, could you pick up that Bible and open it up to 1 John 5, 13 and read it to me? These things have I written unto you that you might know, that you might believe in the name of the Son of God, that you might know that you have eternal life. I didn't know it was there. It was something to think about. But on my next trip, I'm going to be prepared. When he starts talking about the Bible again, I says, wait a minute. I know that you have to have enough good works in order to go to heaven. How many of you think he had some Bible verses for me on that one? He said, would you open that Bible to Titus 3, 5, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration. That's talking about the new birth. How about Ephesians 2, 8 and 9? For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It took me by surprise. Speaking of an impact, that made a real impact on my life. And Isaiah says, My word shall not return void unto me, but it shall accomplish that which I please. The word he sent forth shall not return void, but he shall accomplish that which I please and prosper in the thing whereto I send it. And that word prospered, I'm so glad. You see, knowledge equals power and the proper application of knowledge with the right attitude. Listen, when you witness to somebody, make sure you have the right attitude. Don't look down on them as, as, as rotten sinners going to hell, but let, let them know that you also were on your way to hell. And at the right time, I think that's also important. You can talk yourself blue in the face, but if the Holy Spirit's not drawing him, the person won't get saved. God gets all the glory when somebody gets saved. To the right person, it can have a powerful and a dramatic, even a life-changing impact. Oh, I say the power of one person's testimony, the impact that one person can have. Mr. Hasty was just a layperson of the common sort. But what a difference. This one man with one testimony made in the lives of so many people. I want you to turn to Mark chapter 5. We're going to look at this, and we won't be coming back to here. So if you turn to Mark chapter 5, I want to show you several verses there. I want to show you the potential 
and the potential of one person's testimony, the, in, the, the power of one person's impact. One day, this wild man, we call him the maniac of Gadara, and really, a maniac is, is that's pretty bad. I mean, n none of these, the, nobody, the authorities couldn't subdue this man. They put chains on him and tied him up. He broke the chains, and he lived in the, in the um, cemetery, in, to, in a tomb, and he ripped his clothes off. He had, he'd been a sight to see. He was the kind that the mothers would warn the kids, don't go near the, don't play near the graveyard. There's a man there that eats kids for breakfast and adults for supper. <laughs> now, when Jesus cast out the demons in that man, they, the demons asked to enter to, into the swine. You say, how many demons were there? I don't know, but there was enough to drive 2,000 pigs into the water and drown them. Enough to affect the local economy to the extent that they wanted Jesus to leave. But let's pick up the story at verse 17. This is in Mark chapter 5 and verse 17. And they began to pray him to depart out of their coast. And when he was coming to the ship, he that had been possessed with the devil prayed him that he might be with him. <laughs> so they told Jesus to leave. By the way, if you tell Jesus to leave, he'll leave. He's a gentleman. He'll leave. Uh, and But can you understand this man who had just been, just been saved, just been cleansed, just been delivered from all of the powers of hell? Of course he wanted to be with Jesus. And so he wanted to go with him. And I can see him as he starts going with him. How be it, in verse 19, Jesus suffered him not. He saith unto him, Go home to thy friends and tell them how great things the Lord had done for thee and hath had compassion on thee. Hallelujah. He'd been set free, been uh, undoubtedly wanted to be with the Lord, and Jesus said unto him, No, no, go home to your friends. You know, I can just hear him, preacher. He says, Lord, you don't understand. By the way, that's not a good way to come back to the Lord when he tells you to do something, okay? But I live in a hard area. The people here just don't want to hear the gospel. Lord, you don't understand. He said, the Lord told him to go. And I can, I can hear him say, give him, here's excuses he might have given. He said, look, Lord, when people see me coming, you know what they do? They tuck tail and run. I don't, I can't talk to anybody. Even my family, my friend, they're scared to death of me. Nobody's going to listen to me. But, you know, we say the Lord doesn't understand. We have not a high priest who cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. We was tempted in all points like as, like as we are. Yet, here's the key, without sin. God is never impressed with the excuses. Remember Moses? Moses said, well, God told him to go deliver the children of Israel. And Moses said, but I can't do it because I got a speech impediment. By the way, by the way I believe he did have a speech impediment. Because the Lord didn't say, no, you, you, you can talk fine. He said, you get your brother Aaron. Remember, when, when plan A doesn't work, try plan B. There's a way to get it done. Just get it done. 
be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. We're good at listening. Boy, I like that bread in, in, illustration. The uh, Apostle Paul, I, I think he came, tried to come up with some excuses. He said, Lord, I, I got this thorn. And he prayed for God to take the thorn away. I believe it was a health issue. And I can just hear Paul say, you know, if it wouldn't be for this, it wouldn't be for my eye trouble I have or whatever it was, I could minister so much better and I could have greater services and more people would get him impressed with my ability. Come on. You know what God told him? Shut up, Paul. <laughs> my grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. And here's what I love about that story. Paul's response was beautiful. He said, Most gladly, therefore, will I glory in my weakness that the power of God may rest upon me. I take pleasure in infirmities, in necessities, in distresses, in persecutions, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Thank you, preacher, for really bringing that out to us today. Because, listen, when we listen to your... When we listen to you preach, we all think, we all feel like nobodies. <laughs> I meant it when I said I'd like to yield my time. Now, I'm not through with this story. In verse 20, I want you to see, so he, he says, and he departed. <laughs> I can see him. Jesus said, go. And he, he started going. He started going. And then he stopped. Started turning around. Jesus said, go on. Keep on going. How many times do you feel like turning around? And he kept on going. Look, he says he departed and began to publish in Decapolis how great things Jesus had done for him and all men did marvel. Listen, he didn't go and have an expository message on the, on the prophets of the Old Testament. He didn't know about that. He didn't, I suspect, he didn't know a lot of Bible doctrine. But one thing he knew, he knew what Jesus had done for him. And folks, all of us who are saved have got a story. You say, but my story is not as elaborate. It's not, you know, I didn't come from Hell's Bikers or, or, or that group. Listen, if you, if God saved you, you got an amazing story. Because he saved us from going to hell. But as Paul Harvey used to say, remember? How many of you remember Paul Harvey? Thanks for telling me your age bracket. <laughs> he said, now the rest of the story. And let, we're not going to turn to it, but if you would go to Luke chapter 8, verse 40, um, the same account is given there in Luke chapter 8. And then in verse 4 it says, and it came to pass that when Jesus returned, the people gladly received him. Now why do you think they gladly received him? Here's how. They were all waiting for him. Now, when you have an appointment and somebody's supposed to come pick you up and you're waiting for them, you get excited when you see him coming. Finally, they come. Yeah, here they come. So the people were waiting for him. But why? Another question. Why were they waiting for him? Because of the testimony of one man. Because of the impact that this maniac of Gadara made on that community. There's power in the testimony, in your testimony. You don't have to have 
the power of somebody else's testimony. Use your own. Tell them what. By the way, people love to hear, they love to hear personal experiences. And as the preacher was, uh, isn't it something, preacher, sometimes we, we expound on the scriptures, we, we really can you did such a tremendous job there in Philippians. I'll never leave, read Philippians again without thinking of you and, and how you connect those verses. But uh, let me tell you, in some years to come, people remember the stories more than what they remember with the exposition you gave on it. It's just the way we are. But I'm telling you, they heard him. I've asked Baptist preachers, why didn't you come knock on our door and witness to us about the glorious power of the gospel? The Mormons did. They came, all dressed up, looking all nice, trying to introduce us to a new book. Um, the Jehovah's Witnesses, they came. They always had a handful of literature. They wanted to leave with us. And the preacher's response was this, the Baptist preachers. Well, we just thought there was an impregnable wall between the Amish and the outside society or regular society. Speaking of a wall, so what? Don't you know that every wall has got cracks in it? Ever so small. Mr. Hasty patiently and persistently took the hammer and the chisel of the word of God. By the way, what does Jeremiah say? Is not my word like a fire, God speaking to Jeremiah, saith the Lord, and like a hammer that breaketh the rock into pieces? The word of God is quick and powerful and is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing of the sunder of the joints, the, the mar, the spirit. Uh, he just kept pecking and pounding away. And he's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart, as that verse goes. He kept pounding, kept pecking, till one day that whole wall ruptured and fell apart wide open. Oh, I'm saying the power of one man's testimony, the impact that he made for all eternity. Through that testimony, there were eventually nine Amish families with their children were converted from a religion to a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. That was 40 years ago. The last time I checked, all nine families are still in independent Bible-believing Baptist churches. Why were they? How did it happen they were all in independent Baptist Bible churches, Bible-believing churches? Well, I believe it had something to do with God orchestrating things. Nobody invited us to the Baptist church. In fact, we were, shun we were excommunicated and we're just having little Bible studies by ourselves and singing songs. And that can be good, but boy, that won't get you very far in growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord. You need a man of God. As Paul said, follow me as I follow the Lord. We got, we got a little flyer on the mail that, that invited us to uh, a church, a Baptist church that was having ordination service. I said, I've got to see that. Because I know how the Amish ordained their people. Let's say there was a church about this size and maybe the preacher moved away or, or died or something and they had uh, a bishop and two lay preachers and if one of them moved, they had to have another fill that space. How they did it is they had, during a special service, had all the people would vote. Every church member would get to vote for somebody they would like to see be the next preacher. 
And if you got more than two votes, you got to draw the straw. Well, let's call it. It's, they put a stack of songbooks, however many men had more than two votes, and sometimes it'd be five, six, seven, or eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve people, twelve men. And uh, then the books were opened. All the men were called up in front there, set all in a row. Books were opened, and the one where the paper is found, that's going to be the next preacher. Now, that may for some real dull preaching folks. <laughs> but I felt equally sorry for the man that was called. Had no calling. He had never, they don't allow anybody to preach ever that hasn't been ordained. And you can't get ordained unless you draw the book with the paper. By the way, the paper said, you're the next preacher. <laughs> So we go to the church, to this Baptist church. We, we, we still had, didn't have cars. We were dressed in our Amish clothes. So we hired a driver to take us to church. And when we got there, we wanted to pay the driver like we usually did. And uh, she said, oh, no, I wouldn't charge you for taking you to church. Oh, okay. Later we found out she was a backslidden member of that very church. So we went in and inside the, what do you do? We'd never been to a Baptist church before. And so what do you do when you get inside? We just stood there, and nobody came to say, oh, glad you came, thanks for coming. Nobody had invited us except that flyer. So there was a preacher there from Michigan. There was a preacher there from Kansas. And the preacher from Michigan said, told the young pastor, he was 27 years old, Tim Stowe was his name, and he was being ordained that day. And he said, uh, preacher, it looks like you got some visitors back there. He took one look at us. He was from Texas. He had never seen any Amish people before. He said, they look like troublemakers. They could be troublemakers for the, for the ordination service today. I'm not going back there. <laughs> we found ourselves seats, and the, and, and the song service started, and uh, we were getting comfortable, and then the preaching started. Oh, my goodness, did we hear some good Bible gospel preaching that day. Not only that, before the service was over, they called that young man up on the platform and they had him, they asked him 65 Bible questions, preacher. And he had an answer for everyone and most of them he quoted the scripture to, to, to uh, support his answer. And we were just sitting there, <gasps> mouth open. The song leader got up there and he, at the end of it, and after the song he said, now everybody's invited over to the potluck dinner over at the fellowship hall. Well, we looked at each other and put, nodded our heads. If there's one thing Baptists have in common with Amish, it would be good appetites. <laughs> we had good appetites, so we stayed. But I made sure I got to sit close to the preacher that preached that day. And I must have asked him a dozen or more questions. And he went to that young preacher he said, Preacher, you got some people here that are hungering and thirsting for the Word of God. You better take care of them. And 9 o'clock the next morning, he was out at our house. He said, Folks, would you, would you like if I'd have a, come and we'd have a Bible study every Tuesday night? We said, we'd love that. I mean, we filled the house up. And he came every Tuesday night, 27 years old. And we, most of us were older than he was, but boy, did he know his scriptures. And it was some of the sweetest memories in thinking back. 
of the members. He taught us the Word of God. Our, we, our people just started getting saved. And by the way, we never stopped going to that church. We went to the evening service. We went to the next Sunday. We kept on going. And we came, we came, what we didn't know what was, independent Baptists. I'm so glad that God led us there. Because there was a Southern Baptist church just up the road. We tried real hard. Somebody tried real hard to introduce us to that. And we could never find the preacher. And um, so God was in the works. I, I look back at there, and I want to declare with the psalmist, we said, this is the Lord's doings. It is marvelous in our eyes. That's the verse before. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. The, the psalmist said, praise ye the Lord. I will praise him with my whole heart in the assembly of the righteous and in the congregation. That sounds a lot about like church to me, folks. It's a good thing to be part of a good church. The, and, and speaking of that testimony, that witness, blessed are the feet of them that preach to God. Why does it say the feet? Why does it say the tongue? Because Mr. Hasty drove 15 miles to come out through winding little gravel roads uphill and downhill uh, to come out to our house to buy eggs, he said. They're not allowed to come out and have Bible study, but when you just have a conversation and you talk about the Bible, that's okay. So he came out to buy eggs. Incidentally, he never took the eggs with him. <laughs> Does that suggest to you he didn't come for eggs? I'm so glad for the time he invested in us. Blessed be the Lord who daily loadeth us with benefits, even the God of our salvation. Mr. Hasty was a tall man. He was uh, over six foot tall, and he had a powerful statue. He weighed well over 200 pounds. And then there was me, about a foot shorter than he was, weighing in at just under 100 pounds. In fact, I had all my life tried to get to weigh over 100 pounds. And one day, I wanted to impress my wife, and so I stood on the scales and I said, look, it's over 100 pounds. I had rocks in both pockets. <laughs> After I got off the scale, I said, now, honey, would you get on the scale and we see how much you weigh? <laughs> now, my wife is not overweight, but listen, she would not get on that scale to save her life. Yeah, you know, in comparing man to man, I was less than half a man that Carl Hasty was. But he never looked down to talk to me. In fact, in thinking back, I realized uh, he, didn't, we, he didn't stand to talk to me. He always wanted to sit down. You see, when we sat down, we were eye level to eye level. And I vividly recall, after many previous Bible discussions, Sitting across the table, I asked Mr. Hasty the $65 question. At least in my mind, that's what it was. I said, are you saying that all these religious things, these good works that I've been doing, to be different than the rest of the world, having no cars, no electricity, no running water, no refrigeration, Ah, oh, to this day, I thank God when I opened that refrigerator door and the, the food's cold, the drink's cold, the leftovers are not spoiled from the meal before. All these things, doing without phones, this was to improve my chances for heaven. I said, are they all for nothing? And looking to me, eyeball to eyeball, 
He leaned forward and he said three words, all for nothing, as far as salvation is concerned. Like the power of an impact wrench, no pun intended, my, resist my resistance gave way. It melted away. The eyes of my understanding were opened. I believed him. Believing is the key to the gospel. You can hear the gospel, but if you don't believe it, it doesn't mean anything. The power is in believing. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not the Son hath not life, but the wrath of God abideth upon him. Folks, we're, under, we're all under the wrath of God before we're saved. But he went on to explain one of the phrases that Jesus made when he died on the cross. Also three words. It is finished. It is finished. It was then that I placed my faith on the finished work of Jesus Christ. It's a done, done, done religion, not a do, do, do religion. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. May I say with Timothy, when he said, for I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. He's talking about judgment day, the most, the most scary day for any unbeliever in this world. And yet, We've been justified by faith. And so Romans 8, 1 says, There is therefore no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. No condemnation. How precious and how powerful are the promises of God. Jesus himself said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that has sent me has everlasting life, shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Hallelujah. In Christ, I have nothing to fear, nothing to be afraid of. Uh, Paul said, what shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? It doesn't matter who's against us. Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. All in Romans chapter 8. Oh, there's a little more there. He said, for God so loved us. Yes, God loved us for I know that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor depths, nor height, can you think of anything else, uh, nor any other creature shall separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Our Lord. That's what makes it personal. Now, isn't it encouraging to see in Scripture and from history as well as our own life experiences also verifies how one person can make a difference and it have a significant impact on by simply doing that which is right. Carl Hasty was not an exceptional man. He was just doing what all of us should be doing. He's just doing what, I mean, he wouldn't have qualified himself for that. And uh, how many times have I wished that he could see the results of what he did? He just watered. Somebody else had planted. He, well, he planted, and then somebody else watered. The pastor kept watering. But uh, Carl Hasty went off the scene to be with the Lord before we ever broke away from the Amish. But it was through his testimony, through his persistence, and not giving up on us. He was uh, going the second mile, if you would. That is doing more than is expected. That's what we should be doing. Let's not settle for just being ordinary. 
We make a bigger impact by doing the ordinary things in life extraordinarily well. We can all do that. The widow that gave only two mites, I mean, that's, that's precious little. That's like two pennies. Uh, she was not praised for how much she gave, but she was praised for giving it all. She had done what she could. Ecclesiastes says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Sometimes we talk about doing our duty as we're doing God a favor. It is not the tinsel, it is not the glitter, it is not the glamour that counts. Rather, it is the hard-working people. Often, they're unnoticed and unheralded that make a lasting impact that changes people and changes circumstances for the good, plus giving inspiration that affects multitudes of people. I want you to think with me now on the story of the Good Samaritan. I mean, he's just, a, would you agree he was just a common man? I mean, he had no claim to fame. I mean, we don't even know his name. As a course of duty and a common courtesy, he stopped and helped a wayfaring stranger. He did not know that his deeds were being recorded in heaven. Are you aware that your story is being recorded in heaven? If we would really be aware of that, I think we'd be more careful of what we do. And that his story would be a story that inspire, that would be part of the inspired word of God. Not only that, did he know? No, he didn't know that his simple actions on a lonely, deserted road to a helpless traveler would have impact and inspiration on hundreds of millions of people to come after him in the word of God. Oh, the impact of one testimony, the impact of one person. In 1800, Thomas Jefferson was elected president by one vote over Aaron Burr in the House of Representatives after there was a tie in the Electoral College. In 1824, Andrew Jackson won the presidential popular, popular vote, but he lost by one vote in the House of Representatives to John Quincy Adams, and that's why John Quincy Adams is listed as a president instead of Jackson. In 2008, I'm just, uh, listen, I'm trying to, emphasize the importance of one person, of one vote can make the difference. Um, so in uh, Stockton, California, United School trustee seat was won by one vote. Listen, Jose got 2,302 votes and Anthony received 2,301 votes. Jose won the seat. Who says one vote doesn't count or my vote doesn't count? Who says I can't make a difference? I hear pastors talk about the college education. I wish I could sport a diploma. For 35 years, I pastored. The first church I pastored 22 years. Um, the church was 22, 20 years old when I got there, and no pastor had stayed longer than two years. And uh, they got stuck with me for 22 years. Poor folks they were. And then the second church I'm in, I'm there now in my 14th year. But I had never more than 50 or 60 people. I have three sons that are pastors. Ivan, the oldest one here. But each of them are still in the first church that they took. I, my advice for them is, 
after you get after you get there, after you get the the, the deed to, uh, is settled and you got a home, go and buy yourself a cemetery lot in a local cemetery. Plan to stay there for life. I admire these preachers that stay for a long time. So each one of my sons has a bigger number of people in their church than I have. I struggle with feelings of inferiority, inadequacy, insufficiency, incapability, just not measuring up. I realize I haven't made the difference that I really wanted to make. I didn't have the success um, in life that I hoped to have. And looking back, I can see I can't see any footprints in the sands of time that I'm leaving. I want to. I feel like Paul said, I'm the least of the apostles, not me to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. So I want to recognize that as well. God has done a work. Oh, to leave a legacy. Isn't that what all of us want to do? To leave a legacy, a lasting impact, even if only on a few. Though I walk with a limp, I shall keep on walking. But we walk by faith, not by sight. Though I talk, lacking the charisma, as many others, I shall keep on talking. Come and hear all ye that fear the Lord, and I will declare what he had done for my soul. Though I lack knowledge, I'm going to keep on studying and reading. I got to preach his books. I know what I'm going to read when I get home. I'm going to learn some things. You see, the Bible says wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. And with all thy getting, get understanding. Though I can't raise my hands, I wish I could. I watch these other preachers and they reach up here and make all kinds of motions and drive their points home. I can't do that, but by the grace of God, I can raise my voice. Cry aloud, spare not. Lift up your voice like a trumpet and show my people their transgressions and the house of Jacob their sins. Something people don't want to hear, but we're called to do that. If you've got a preacher that, that names your sins, that steps on your toes, thank God for it. I want to close with a verse from the stanza, a little stanza from the Psalm of Life. Let us then be up and doing with a heart for any faith, still achieving, still pursuing. Learn to labor and to wait. Thank you. Give me, give me your hand. I'll, I'll get the papers from the later. Thank you. Give an opportunity to respond. We've heard two tremendous, powerful messages. And I'm not going to go through a bunch of ring or roar. God spoke to your heart. When we come forward right now, as she begins to play, altars open. Have you used your power of one? Have you used the power of the gospel to the best of your ability? Ready throughout here.